Welcome to the Winning with Shopify podcast. This is the podcast to help you scale your Shopify store into a money-making machine. This podcast is sponsored by Privy. Privy is the fastest way to grow sales with email and SMS. You can build your list, save abandoned carts, send money-making emails and texts, and more, all in one place. Plus, you'll get coaching and support from e-commerce experts no matter where you start. Sign up for a free 15-day trial today by heading over to www.privy.com slash winning to get started. Your host is Nick Truman. He's a Shopify expert and the CEO of JustAskParker.com, a global specialist marketing agency for Shopify owners. Nick will be sharing his knowledge and interviewing the experts to help you thrive and build an e-commerce business that makes you more money. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Here's your host, Nick Truman. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Winning with Shopify podcast. For anyone who's tuning in for the first time, thank you so much for listening to our show. It's an absolute pleasure to have you with us. Uh, Before we go any further, please hit that subscribe button and use any device you like to do it. We want you to subscribe, we want you to tune in and hear every single episode that we're posting on here. For anyone that's new, we have a website which you can check out. There's not a huge amount on there at the moment. But at the moment, it's the winningwithshopify.com. So winningwithshopify.com. You can fill out a quick form, give us some feedback, request to come on the show. You can find out more about sponsoring the show, as you probably hear in our intro. And a whole heap of other things are going to be added to that over the coming months. One that I'm not allowed to talk about today, I'm afraid, but is incredibly exciting, is something that's going to help you all out dramatically with your stores. And it's going to involve a lot, and I mean a lot, of different partners and sponsors we've had in the past and different people that can help support you in your Shopify store growth. But on to today's topic. Today's topic is a lovely one, something that we love to talk about and something that I'm sure has caught your attention when you were looking at the title of the episode today. Today, we're talking about how you can make millions, and we mean millions, and we'll explain millions shortly as well, um, how you can make millions selling your Shopify store with a site called Flipper. And as always, I've got a very special guest with me today. His name's Blake, and he's the CEO of Flipper, and he's going to be telling us more about that. So, Blake, welcome to the show. Thank you, Nick. Thanks very much for having me. Well, it's an absolute pleasure to have you with us today. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Blake, and also a little bit about Flipper. Yeah, thanks again. I am the CEO of Flipper, so my responsibility here is to grow the marketplace as a whole and give people lots of opportunity to buy and sell Shopify stores and other digital assets on our platform. I have a a history working for technology businesses in growth roles, business development roles, sales and marketing roles across here in Australia for businesses like Zero and Luxury Escapes and businesses in the US, including startups, as well as the BBC, where I spent a short period of time in New York City. So varied experience. Um, Flipper is a marketplace. It's two-sided, so we have supply and demand. And the most common use case is when an online business owner lists their business for sale and a buyer meets that business owner on our platform and demonstrates some interest in that asset, ultimately successfully purchases that asset. So it's a marketplace to buy and sell Online businesses and Shopify stores are a big part of that. Lovely. And I'm sure to anybody listening, like the thought of selling a store, I'm I'm hoping and guessing is going to be quite an exciting thing. I know as an entrepreneur myself, a lot of us get out of bed in the morning thinking there's going to be this lovely big pot of gold at the uh, end of a rainbow at some point. Well, actually, that can become a reality if you do choose to sell. Um, And we'll come on to this more as we talk because 
Shopify is quite a nice asset to sell as well because it's uh, it's not like a completely open source custom store with warehouses and all the rest of it. You could literally just sell the store. You could sell the whole business. And again, we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we go through. So to get us started, Blake, give us some of the reasons behind why some people would be selling their store, like apart from the obvious big pot of gold. Like what are some of the other reasons that people decide to start putting their Shopify store or stores on the market to sell them? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, much to people's surprise, it's it's actually not that sinister, nor is it hugely surprising the reasons why someone would sell. First and foremost, it often comes down to timing. So do I need to sell now to be able to afford something else? So am I cashing in, having realized opportunity, having leveraged my passion and expertise to grow my business to a certain size? That tends to be the most common. It's a timing issue. I either want to do something else with the money or I need to be able to afford something else and there's an opportunity to leverage the value of my store today. And we can talk about multiples in a minute, but that's that's a that's a primary reason. Mm. Retirement, retirement's a big reason. We often see multiple, you know, 60, 70-year-old asset owners list on our platform and and they're quite simply looking to de-risk their retirement mm-hmm. and cash in on their assets performance. You can also have some people who have realized their potential. And so they may have been good at getting the business to a couple of hundred thousand dollars in annual revenue, but thinking about getting it from a couple of hundred thousand dollars to a couple of million dollars might require advanced expertise in anything from Facebook to supply chain management to to SEO. And they just don't have that expertise, nor do they have the want and desire. So it's an opportune time to cash out. So the reasons are not sinister. They tend to be circumstantial. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I think just on that last one as well, in, in regards to, you know, you get it to a point and then somebody else takes over from there. One of the things I've always seen as well is actually around investment. And some people have been trying to get investment, struggle to get it. When they look at their current profit rate, so how much money they're making at the moment, to get enough investment to really kind of level up the business and take it to the next kind of phase, it's going to require investment. And that might be that instead of you know buying stuff in from another country and selling it on, it might be that actually you want to start manufacturing your own stuff now, or you're going to need to start kind of expanding that side of things, which is going to require equipment and a bigger premises to actually house that equipment to manufacture the product yourself and things like that. So again, there's a, there's a whole heap of reasons why, why people might want to sell. That's right. It's a really critical one because small business owners, and when we say small business owners, you know, we're talking about businesses doing anywhere between you know tens of thousands of dollars in revenue to millions of dollars in revenue. They are the ultimate bootstrappers. They often have used their own money. They often have scaled the business as the business grows with them. They haven't taken on growth capital. They haven't diluted their equity. They haven't taken on capital for debt. So they're really using the revenue and profit-making potential of that asset to grow it. And that's a big effort for a long journey. And so sometimes it just feels like a better equation to sell it to someone who can scale it from there. Nice, nice. Yeah, and I, I, I love as well, you mentioned you mentioned it about it being, it being circumstantial. Yeah, I, I love that as an example because I think sometimes we try to switch off actually from the kind of emotional side of being a human in a way and try and make decisions like, this is what's right for the business. And, and as business owners, we do have to sometimes take a step back and go, do you know what? This is starting to really emotionally kill me here. Um, I, I, actually, I need to think about alternatives. I need, sometimes it's just as simple as I need a target. You know, if you know you're going to sell something, I know I'm going to sell it now. And that is my target. That is what I'm going to go after. That is um, what we are going to try and do here. 
Yeah, people give themselves a time horizon. So they'll say, look, I'll run it for three years. Some people give themselves a revenue milestone to hit. I want to hit a million dollars in annualized revenue. And at that point, I'm going to exit. So yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that people probably need to realize right now is that there is a lot of buy side demand. And so whilst, you know, whilst I said it was circumstantial, and that's absolutely the case. Some people are looking to cash in on all of the excitement right now. Yeah, yeah. And there are lots of buyers out there. And you can get really, really good uh, returns for an asset that you've been running for two to two to five years. So sometimes it's about cashing in. Yeah, definitely. And I think something is quite interesting, actually, in terms of, um, I know we're talking today about how to sell a store, but just a quick note for buyers and a quick question for you, Blake, is, if you're buying a store, what are some of the benefits for you actually buying a store in? Like what, what can be some of the kind of uplifts you could see? Like I think, I think especially if you own a store already, what are some of the things you can do if you owned a second store that sells something different to what you're doing at the moment? Yeah, predictability. So, you know, starting something from scratch is really difficult. Scaling to your first thousand orders is really difficult. When there's evidence and evidence over a lengthy period of time, that the business is consistent, that the refund rates are low, that the average order value is X, let's say $100. There's believability, there's consistency, and there's predictability in what I'm buying. Mm. And that's hard to achieve. So you get to fast track performance. The other thing is it's, it's it's actually quite a strong asset class today. And it's not speculative. It's not like buying an NFT. Mm. It is, it is an asset class from which you can get a very, very solid return on investment. So let's just play that out for a minute. Let's say the asset makes $5,000 a month, and I'm talking about net profit just for the sake of the dialogue. So therefore, I'm making $60,000 per annum. That site or store might sell for, let's say, $150,000. So I'm talking about a, about a two and a half times multiple yep. to buy that store. And I'm talking about now a 40% return annualized. Now, you can't get that from the stock market. You can't get that from a rental property. So you're spending whatever my equations were before. You're spending $250,000 to acquire the asset. You're making 40% annualized. That's a pretty good ROI. And so one of the reasons buyers do this is because it is an appreciating asset class paying strong annual returns. Another reason they do it is because it's predictable. And so long as you're buying something which is consistently earning X dollars per month, when you take it over, so long as you continue to run it to the same level, it will also make X dollars per month. Mm. Which I think is the exciting thing, especially with e-commerce, isn't it? Because you're spending money on your marketing and your products, and then you've got the revenue coming in. It's very, very quick. It's not like you know, some of the clients we work with are like lead generation. You get somebody who fills out a form today, but it could actually be hundreds of months, literally in some scenarios, hundreds of months before they actually pay their first penny to you. So yeah, it's, it's pretty much real time. As soon as someone's added to cart, put it in the thing, you've got money in. And hundreds of months of learning that get passed on to you as the acquirer because the great thing about digital businesses is a lot of the secret source is embedded in the platform economy, right? You can see how it's performing on Facebook. You can see how it's performing on Google Analytics. You can see how it's performing through the Shopify dashboard. So it's all, all there for you to see. You can essentially track the learnings, the mistakes, the improvements over time, and you get to buy it when it's ripe. And that's, that's a pretty attractive opportunity. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And the only other thing I would add, and you sort of touched on this a little bit, is when I've seen quite a few of our clients have bought other stores, 
quite often the immediate opportunity, it might be that the store they've bought is making 20, 30,000 um, you know, US dollars per month, for example, in revenue. So you've got $20,000 of revenue, uh, sorry, profit per month that you can just buy the business and you've now got that, which is nice, plus all the stock and everything else that comes with it. And then they've literally just sent an email out to their existing customer base saying, we've just bought this store. Uh, or, you know, this is now part of our group. You can all have 20% off. And you get this massive influx of sales. So overnight, you've actually managed to recoup a big chunk of the money you spent on that store. And you do the same thing on the new store you've just bought to say, you know, we're now teamed up with these guys, go and check out, um, you know, go, go and check out what they're doing, which is quite nice. So I think it can be quite interesting as well, just to do that sort of cross pollination. Good example is that we had a, a client that was selling sunglasses and they bought a company that sold lots of lovely merino wool jumpers which now means they've got a summer business and they've got a winter business. And so they sell the summer stuff to summer customers throughout the summer and the same in the winter with the jumpers side of things and the, uh, the warm winter clothing. And so, again, can be quite a good tactical thing to do and can actually start to plug the gap of where the quiet, quiet sort of times are. So, again, very tactical. And then it starts to give you a bit more reason to actually do these things as opposed to just, oh, that's a nice store, let's go buy it. Or the store itself is making money, so let's buy it can be a much bigger reason so um, yeah that's exactly right and you, you know you're talking about company buyers and you're talking about growth for acquisition as a strategy so those those buyers as, as you've just articulated it they will buy something which complements their existing portfolio or their existing skill set and operational expertise and so then they take that expertise and they just roll it over into that new asset that they've acquired and they tend to get a very 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 quick roi which is why again the asset class i.e. buying and selling Shopify stores has become so lucrative for people. Nice, nice. Cool. Yeah, I mean, really useful stuff so far. And again, I hope this is giving people a bit of an idea of, okay, I now have, have a direction, a bit of trajectory. I know where, where I want to go with this thing, which is cool. So next question then, how do you actually value a store? You mentioned about multiples earlier. So someone's sitting there going, well, my store's worth billions as far as I'm concerned. It's not quite as simple as that, is it? There's a multiplication you can do and there's a few other ways to value it. So, so go on, Blake, tell, tell us how, you, how would you value a store? Yeah, so look, the, there's a couple of things that come into consideration. The first piece really relates to financial performance and typically what buyers will look at as a trailing 12-month performance. And that includes obviously revenue expenses and then from that they'll extrapolate a net profit. Now, assuming that the business is profitable, these assets, i.e. Shopify stores, will tend to be valued on a multiple of profit. And so what we're tending to see is that the longer the business has been around, so the average business sold on Flipper is four years old, but the longer the business has been around and the larger the revenue base, the higher the multiple. And so just to give everyone a, a clear range from which to aspire to be, we see sort of two-year-old assets selling around two and a half times multiple, but we see five-year-old assets operating between sort of three and a half to four times multiple. Now, there are some anomalies here. We have seen assets sell for as high as six and seven times, and that's because they are historically very, very well-performing assets. They might be in a geography where there is a large concentration of buyers and therefore they get competitive demand or a competitive process. They could also be in a niche or category which is underserved that they dominate. So there are multiple variables which come into play, but certainly the first thing that a buyer will look at is your trailing 12-month performance and they will expect, unless you're operating at mass scale, that are, and growing very, very fast, that it is assessed on a profit basis. 
Now, the next thing they're going to assess is the fundamentals. So we call this the metrics that matter. And the fundamentals relate to things like refund rates. So do you have a high refund rate? In SaaS land, that's considered churn. In e-commerce land, i.e. Shopify stores, people talk about refund rates. Uh, buyers will tend to gravitate and orientate to high AOV businesses. So businesses which have a, have a high average order value. Now, at e-commerce, anything under 100 is considered sort of low and normal. Anything above 100 starts to get to medium to high AOV. And then the um, other thing that they're going to look at is your customer density. So basically, what that means is, do you have a high repeat order rate? Is there lots of customers buying once and never buying again? Or are there multiple customers buying regularly, in which case you have a repeat rate which the business can be built upon and it's more predictable in future periods. So there are many, many variables which come into consideration and each buyer has slightly nuanced metrics that matter to them. But typically, trailing 12 months, profit multiplied by between two and, as I said, as high as six or seven times for those anomalies or edge cases where the business is a hyper strong performer. Nice, nice. And I mean, for anyone who doesn't understand any of the words Blake's just mentioned, do some Googling because it's really, really useful stuff this. I think the, the very first thing you said, I think this I find quite fascinating is that the, the, the business has been running for sort of two to three years. You've got a 2.5 multiple um, of profit. So whatever profit you make per year times that by 2.5. That's quite astonishing. Yeah. So the business has been running for two years, you times the multiple by 2.5 from the last year. Yeah. That's a, I mean, just in terms of business acquisitions, that is a massive multiple. I think that, that for me shows a huge element of trust in a Shopify business as an asset, which I think is phenomenal, it, it, just in terms of what it's actually worth. And then as you say, actually, if you run it, you know, four to five years, then at that point, you're looking at a 3.5 multiple. Just so everyone's aware, and I try and remind people of this when we're talking about Shopify, you're all getting into the world of business at a lovely time. It was not this easy when I started out 15 years ago um, to, to make that, that kind of multiple with such a, such a low amount of, um, of traction. But I think I, I, what I like is that that's based on sales you're actually seeing on Flipper, isn't it? That's based on real-world statistics. Absolutely. We, so we have the largest sales data. We've been doing this for 12 years. So we have the largest amount of sales data from which to, to build our, I guess, insights upon. We also farm that sales data and push it into our intelligent valuations engine. So that's where you can get a valuation. So you just go to flipper.com, hit the get a valuation button, and we've got five different machine learning models uh, looking at the, the variables and the performance of your asset and comparing that to historical sales and then spitting out a valuation, which is more often than not very accurate. But just really to sort of ram this home, I'll give you a real-life example. I've just found one um, on the fly here. Looks like it was sold about 60 days ago here. It was a five-year-old asset. It is a Shopify asset. It was doing, on average, 4200 a month at a profit margin of 37%. It was five years old. It's based in Florida, and it was some tape that you put around your hands for the protection of your hands during a workout, so when you're lifting weights, etc. The actual business's name is called Callus Performance. So obviously protecting calluses. Launched back in 2017. So as I said, you know, five years old, 41,000 units have been sold to date and they do that through a combination of Amazon as well as Shopify. Now, just for this particular example, that business sold for $110,000, which is a 2.2 times multiple. 
So that gives you a real life example that sold very recently on the platform. Nice, nice. And as I say, I think the obvious the obvious thing to do here then is the longer you run it and the more it grows, the more it's going to be worth, which I think goes for almost any asset. You know, it's a bit the same, a bit the same as investing your pension. You know, the longer you've got it, as long as it's not shrinking, it's growing, it's going to keep growing, it's going to be worth more and more and more. So yeah, I, I think kind of working out a a plan for your Shopify store in terms of when you might sell it. I mean, if you're not going to sell it at all, continue listening because I think this is all very useful and you might change your mind one day. But yeah, working out that plan of like, where, when is the business going to need a significant push to, to go through the next level? If you can predict that, whether that's going to be, okay, now we need to move up to a massive warehouse. We can't, we're not going to be able to afford that on our own. That seems like a good time to sell it actually. I think the other the other point to make just in that particular scenario and something you touched on already, Blake, is if you can give the buyer a reason to buy it. So obviously profit's useful, but if there's a reason to buy it, like a, you know, if someone's got a million dollars sitting around and they want to buy this store and then put a million dollars behind it to achieve X, Y, Z, if you can provide the blueprints to say, if you were to put that million dollars in, this is the next thing you would then need to do, which might be manufacturing your own products. It might be moving warehouse. It might be um, ramping up marketing to start actually competing with some of the, the bigger players in your market, et cetera, et cetera. If you were to do that, the numbers then say that sales revenue would increase to this, profit margins would increase because we're manufacturing our own products. And as a result, this business will become X percentage more profitable. Again, the more I, I've always found that the more reason you can give to somebody to buy it, the better. I mean, we, we bought a business a few years ago, um, be two years ago in June, and the business itself wasn't in great shape. And I wasn't really interested in owning the business as it was. It was actually the assets that came with it. And the assets that came with it, we managed to get back our money from buying the business within about two months just by using the assets in my main company. And those assets, you know, included a whole range of things from an email database to website to a couple of accreditations that actually de uh, deliver a lot of leads that the business itself wasn't actually capable to sign those leads as clients. Well, my other business was. So we, we bought that company, we started signing those clients and within two months got our money back, which was nice and quick. So Again, the, the more reason you can give to somebody to buy your business than just the kind of financial side of how many products are we selling, the higher the chance you'll sell it quickly and also the higher the amount you'll probably get for it. And I imagine that's probably where, Blake, you've mentioned about some of the anomalies where the multiples are increased. It's because the buyer can see a, a reason they want to buy it. And this is all about negotiation as well. Like if you can highlight that reason, use that to your advantage, then great. If you can't, you might not get the increased value for that. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, as I said before, buyers are looking for performance and financial performance and look at typically trailing 12 months. But if the business is older than that, they're going to look through seasonality and, and what you've done to ensure that it's a, a really stable, high performance asset. But as you just said, performance is absolutely what they assess, particularly when they're coming up with an indicative multiple, but they're always looking for growth opportunity. So as you just said, if you can give them that blueprint, so if you can show them that you're getting a three times ROAS on on Facebook advertising, but you're not very good at it, and they are they think they are very good at it, then they're going to get a better unit economic result on that. If you can show them that you know you've got a, a well performing site, but it SEOs terribly, and the person who's acquiring it has strong SEO expertise, then they're going to look for that opportunity. So, you know, one man's trash is another man's treasure to some extent. You've you've worked very hard to get the business to a certain point. That will be very attractive and it will be particularly attractive to someone who thinks they can take it to the next point. Cool. And so 
I'm kind of in two minds where we go next. Uh, so there's two options here. And I think we'll go, we'll go backwards in time first and then we'll go forwards. So the forwards in time we'll come into in a sec is what does the actual sale look like and handovers and that kind of thing. We'll talk about that in a minute. But let's, let's, let's roll the clock back quickly. So assuming lots of our listeners right now, you guys are thinking of selling your business at some point. What are some of the things they need to do, Blake, today and some of the structures they need in place and some of the things that they will need to have available to sell the business? Like say they're going to sell in one to three years time from now, using those multiples we're just talking about. What are some of the things they should get in place today to make sure they're ready for for sale? First thing is get your financials in order. And and my biggest tip there is to use use a cloud accounting software. So use Xero, use Sage, use QuickBooks Online, use FreshBooks, doesn't matter which one. Just use cloud accounting software and get a P&L in order. So that's profit and loss, yep. if anyone doesn't know what that means, which I didn't when I first sold a business. <laughs> so yeah, profit and loss. So profit and loss, essentially a, a representation of your revenue, your expenses, and what the outcome of that looks like. Any good bookkeeper can sort that out for you in a matter of days, if really critical, even quicker than that. So use a bookkeeper, get an accountant, get your financials in order, ensure that those those details are upkept and it will just make that assessment process so much easier for the buyer. We see so many deals fall over when the buyer is super excited, the seller is equally excited, then all of a sudden gets into due diligence and the profit and loss statement is, is not there to be seen and it's not accurately represented on the Flipper platform, which of course we now verify, but it can still occasionally come unstuck. The second biggest tip is to get your inventory and supply side relationships in order. So ensure that you've got enough inventory on hand for the acquirer to take the business over and and continue to run it. We have seen examples where a business owner will run the business dry of inventory and will say, hey, but it's super simple. I'll introduce you to my supplier. And when the time's right, you can order some more. Businesses don't work like that. They need to be operating 24-7 And the acquirer will not be very happy buying an asset where inventory is dried up. It's either inaccessible um, or no longer available. That's not a good position to be in. So have your supply side relationships stitched up, ready to go, and with stock on hand for the buyer to take it over. Now, the third thing, which sounds funny, is you are in a highly competitive space now. There are lots of other Shopify business owners who are also selling their business to a multitude of buyers on our platform and, frankly, anywhere else. So it's a merchandising game. You have to be able to articulate what your brand represents, what your customers look like, what they buy, when they buy, what the value of that product is that they buy, your best-performing SKUs, the environments from which you sell, Shopify, Shopify plus other marketplaces like Walmart, Amazon or other. So you have to get into your sales mode, position yourself as a startup founder just for the sales process and actually merchandise your asset. Think about it as like selling a house. It is, it is an asset. It's an appreciating asset class. There's real money trading hands. Buyers want to know all about it. We see so many times a seller will just say, well, this is how good my asset is. Come in and get it. And that's just not going to cut it. So you got to get merchandising and we can help with that. But it's certainly the third tip I would provide. Cool. And I think with the suppliers, again, just jumping back to that point, would you recommend getting contracts and things in place with those suppliers so that the new owner has some documentation as well? So it's not just like buying on Alibaba regularly or on an email thread. 
they've got something to go, look, we actually have a contract and agreement in place. Yeah, look, I don't think it's that critical for a small Shopify business. And when I say small, okay. I'm, I'm talking about sub 100K rev, sub $100,000 in revenue. If it's, Is that if, per month? Per uh, year? No, per annum. If you're, if you're getting up into million-dollar territory and above, you absolutely need to have those assurances and those assurances can be provided by way of a contract. Cool, cool. And I think certainly going back to the P&L, the profit and loss sheet, we did an episode a few weeks ago where we actually talked about profit and loss. So I'd highly recommend going back and checking out that episode. There was a particular tool, Cinder, S-Y-N-D-E-R. So those guys can actually provide you with real-time information. They plug into Shopify itself, all for a small fee per month. So it's literally like an app, which is pretty useful. As Blake said, getting all of that in order, getting an accountant, getting a bookkeeper, all super important. But actually, I, when we're talking about acquisitions and that sort of thing, and we talked about this in the past on the, on the podcast, I always come back to, you should be doing all this stuff anyway. You should have all of that stuff in place. You should be looking at your profit and loss sheets several times a week, if not every single day. It's one of the closest things I keep an eye on in, we use Xero, which you mentioned earlier, which is with an X, X-E-R-O.com. And you can connect it right the way up to Shopify. It has real-time information coming out of your bank as well. So again, I think super important to have those numbers in front of you at all times, um, which is useful. So those are some of the things you can do pre-sale, Blake. What does the sale actually look like both sale day and what happens next once you've sold it because it's not kind of all done is it you don't just get handed a check and walk away and buy your super yacht there's <laughs> a little bit more to it than that isn't there yeah there is i mean the first thing that happens is you you list the business on flipper and you wait for matches to play out and matches occur as a function of us verifying our buyers, understanding our buyers' preferences and buyer mandates and matching them up. So think about it as as like a dating website. We see ourselves as in the matching business. And that's the first thing that will happen. You'll get inquiries from prospective buyers. Once you've found the right buyer, the right buyer will use Flipper's embedded LOI, letter of intent functionality. And they will issue a letter of intent with the offer and the offer terms. And your job is to review that letter of intent before you move on to the next step. Once you've reviewed that letter of intent, you've decided that the terms are accurate or you have provided some changes to those and ultimately agreed to those, you will then typically move into a due diligence process. Now, I say typically because some buyers are more prone to do full-scale due diligence pre offer and others do it post. Regardless, due diligence will happen. Assuming due diligence goes well, which is essentially a verification of all of the stuff you've said about the asset, then you now move into the escrow and or payment process. Now, escrow integrated into the Flipper platform is a process whereby the buyer pays that money is stored in a safe and secure encrypted trust account, in our case, powered by escrow.com, you'll be able to see that that monies is there. And that's the point at which you must prepare, and you probably will have already prepared, an asset register and begun to change hands. The asset register is a list of all of the things that your business relies on to operate day to day. The Shopify account the list of inventory and a reconciliation of that inventory, any social media accounts, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, supplier agreements, if you have employees, 
um, any details of those employees, including potentially their employee agreements, any contractor introductions, maybe you're using a VA to help out with some content or something like that. All of those things are included in the asset register. Now, once you've started to transfer those assets and the buyer has reviewed those assets to ensure that they are an accurate representation of what the contract says, then they release that money. That will typically mean a 7, 14 or 21 day inspection period for the buyer. The good news is your money's protected. It's not going anywhere. It sits in escrow. The buyer can't take it back. But the buyer has the opportunity to review those assets, review them for accuracy and credibility, and then at that point in time, release the monies. Then you can jump on the yacht. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. What I like as well is that you guys provide that service because I think if you were just, I mean, say a buyer just phoned you up or emailed you one afternoon and you started doing this. Without those securities, you have no confirmation really that the the funds are even going to arrive in your bank account or that when the funds arrive, the buyer's got no no kind of security or proof in a sense, apart from having to go through legal channels if required, that they're, they're actually going to get access to the Shopify store and, and all their other assets. And so I like the fact that you guys are controlling that process and also then the funds are sent to you as a third party. So you then confirm to the seller, we've got the funds, we now need you to release all the assets. Once that's done, we'll release the funds to you sort of thing. And you've got that middle party to do all of this. How does it work with like handovers then? So like somebody buys a business, you're not just going to be running straight to the super yacht the day the sale's finished, or or are you? Well, I mean, I guess the definition of when the sale's finished is, is when the money changes hands and lands in your bank account. Now, sometimes, and particularly for bigger value deals, there is either a earnout period, some kind of milestone payment structure, or if not that, a consultancy agreement which requires that you assist the new owner for a short period of time. And so, as you just said, you're highly unlikely to be running to the yacht because it may be that for the next 90, maybe even up to 120 days, you're actually sitting with the buyer to ensure that, for want of a better description, the patient is stabilised. So the first thing a buyer wants to do is take control of the asset and not grow it, just ensure that it operates in exact same fashion it has been operating. And so they'll need you. They'll need you to understand the inner workings of the business post-asset handover, in most cases, particularly for higher value deals. And so we've seen everything from full-time consultancy agreements where the buyer is asking the seller to stay on board full-time for X period of time. We've also seen things like it's literally built into the agreement that it is as required at a phone call's notice, so therefore it's an arm's-length relationship. So it can be a small amount of time, it can be a lot amount of time, but yeah, typically you will have to help the buyer before you can get on that yacht and sail away. Yeah. And I think for anyone buying a business, I would, if it's, if it's not your first time, you'll know this already. If it is your first time, I highly recommend doing some sort of handover time because I think it's really important actually to make sure that when 
when you're selling a business or when you're most importantly, when you're buying one, you have the old owner, either like Blake's just said, available at arm's length. So you can kind of call them whenever you need to ask questions, et cetera, et cetera. I think especially if if the founder or owner of the company you're buying or the Shopify store you're buying, if if that person is quite involved in terms of, you know, their faces on the advertising and when people buy products, they see them and hear about them and know their name, even more reason, I would say, to make sure they're still involved. I have seen, I've seen a couple of um, these kind of transactions where the founder has been so involved in everything that when they've actually sold the business, that face has gone, you know, essentially the front man of your, your marketing campaigns has now disappeared. And that can be a real problem. So yeah, highly recommend just, just making sure you've got some sort of hand over time, even if it's just to ask questions. But most importantly, you know, in every transaction we've done, there's been a minimum of sort of six months. And six months at the arm's length is the absolute minimum. When I sold a service-based business years ago, I did 18 months. I did afterwards to make sure that the business continued trading. And, you know, I'd agreed to run that time and we'd agreed salaries and um, remuneration and that sort of thing well in advance. So I knew what I was going to be paid. Um, And there was even a bonus scheme. So they actually delayed the second payment until the 18 months were up. But the second payment then was worth, was based on the worth and value of the business after 18 months. So it was, I was well within my sort of motivated rights to want that business to do well after I'd left. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and that earnout is becoming more and more common. So you're significantly incentivized to stay on board and ensure that the business continues to run, at least to the to the value of its prior performance, but, but in excess of that. We, we have seen most recently what is called a stability payment. So it was a, a $30 million sale. And a portion of that $30 million is, is held back. And so long as the business performed to 90% of its prior trailing 12-month result, then the remaining monies was paid. And that's what they call a stability payment. Nice, nice. And I think, yeah, again, you know, one of my questions is going to be how should you structure the deal? In, in essence, there are some parameters, of course, on Flipper and on all for good reason. But in essence, you can structure the deal really however you want. You know, there's no there's no kind of right and wrong answer on this. It's just a case of both parties agreeing. We want to structure like this because that protects the asset we're buying. And I want to structure like this and that protects my my asset that I'm selling, you know, the money that I'm going to receive for this. Yeah, the only comment I would make there is, you know, lots of buyers um, out there right now trying to do deals which are no cash up front, things like that. And given how much demand there is from the buyer pool out there right now, I would just highly encourage anyone looking to sell a business to flat out reject those overtures and offerings. There are plenty of cash rich buyers out there right now who can pay at least 50% of the business's value up front. Yeah, yeah, and and that's what that's what a lot of deals I've certainly in my experience I tend to see is it's sort of half up front, half later. So you pay half now, and then there's some sort of handover period where we've got people involved, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then further down the line, there's a second half once you know it's all moved over properly, and the second half is variable based on what's the value of the business a year later. I've even seen it where it's been three years before, and someone said, "Look, we'll come in, we'll buy the whole company, we'll give you half the money now." We'll invest lots of money in this. They make some promises in writing and then the other half of your money you can have in a year or three years time or something. We want you to help us sort of triple the size of the company in that time. And we believe by manufacturing our own products, we think it can happen over that time as well. So again, you can structure it however you want, but I think it's important just to make sure that both both sides agree, it's clear and it's written down and signed so everybody is signed up correctly. Because 
the thing with selling a business where it's not just a clean cut transaction of like, give us the money, we'll give you the store and the products and it's done. When it's not clean cut, guarantee someone's going to be referring back to that documentation on a regular basis to say, this isn't what we agreed, or we thought the value was going to go up, but it's come down. Why is that happening? You know, this isn't this isn't what everybody was expecting. I think it's important to make sure all of that is uh, there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And the other the other deal structure, just quickly, that we've started to see a bit of is seller financing, and so that is essentially where you operate like the bank as the business owner. You are owed interest on the repayments over a period of time. So you know, most recent deal I saw with that. million transaction value, $3.5 million was paid upfront and the uh, remaining amount was paid over the next three years. But those monthly repayments were subject to interest and the interest rate was 7%. So it actually means that the total value of the asset is far greater than what was previously agreed. And the interest rate repayment basically guarantees you, the current business owner, moving on from the business, it guarantees you cash flow for the next three years. So it's not a bad result. Yeah, not 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 too shabby at all. I think it's uh, certainly a good way uh, good way to look at it. So, amazing, right? Well, look, we've been we've been running for nearly forty five minutes now, and I think some huge learnings there for everybody listening. And I think again, it's it's about that motivation, about setting that target, you know, and saying right, we're going to sell the business in X amount of time. Let's get on and do it. We need to structure things in a certain way. It, it gives you something really to focus on. And I also think I often take the approach of aim to sell it at some point, even if you get there and decide not to. I think certainly. The, the disciplines of making sure it is sellable, I think are generally just things that should be done, you know, she should be doing in a business anyway, like calculating your profit and loss, having a balance sheet, making sure you've got an up-to-date asset list, having a bookkeeper, an accountant, et cetera, et cetera, all super important stuff. So thank you so much for joining us today, Blake. Tell us how people can reach out to you and, and how they can get onto Flipper, what's the website address, and how can they follow what, uh, what you guys are up to? Yeah, best thing to do is to head to Flipper.com. You can actually browse around a bunch of Shopify assets there to get a feel for what other people are doing and what they're valued at. That's a really good way to familiarize yourself with the process. If you want an instant valuation, it is free. It is accurate. You can hit the Get a Valuation button, which is available across the website. So just hit Flipper.com and hit the get evaluation button. If you're looking for any tips or tricks and just want to chat to me, I'm always happy to help people out through the process. It is a relatively foreign process for most people. So hit me up at Blake, B-L-A-K-E at flipper.com and happy to help. Amazing. Thank you so much, Blake. It's been great to have you on the show. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate your time. Cool. And for everyone else listening, as always, back again next week. So stay tuned, hit the subscribe button, check out the website as well. And I think we're probably two or three weeks away from announcing that exciting update to the site, which... uh, I must add, it's it's going to be better than free financially for you all, if that's enough of a carrot to dangle. So thanks for listening. Back again next week. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter for exclusive offers at winningwithshopify.com. And don't forget to check out our Facebook group by searching for Winning with Shopify on Facebook. Over and out.